The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Hey, welcome. It is time for the live special edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting out of the old converted ice cream trailer deep in the woods of western Wisconsin bringing on the most interesting guests I can find to talk about things that the mainstream doesn't want you to know. So I'm, what Hi, I'm doing, what I'm doing on the show is dialogism on steroids. Dialogism is the Bakhtinian literary and social theory about the multiple uh, voices, the polyphony of voices that construct our social reality. And there are very important voices being excluded from the dialogue these days. And I'm looking for them, and I'm bringing them on. All right, and we're going to try and bring on uh, Meryl Nass in the first hour tonight. Dr. Meryl Nass is one of the best-known COVID skeptics, one of the people who is being unjustly excluded. In fact, they, they tried to rescind her license to practice medicine in the state of Maine, uh, because she was prescribing COVID treatments, and the establishment had decided they wanted vaccines, not treatments. Now, Merrill is also a biowar expert, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight in the first hour. You have reached Dr. Merrill now. Uh, sounds like we're having a hard time getting phone. through to Merrill. If you need and to leave a message, we have two telephones do. numbers for her, I believe, and so we'll see what happens if we when try both of those numbers. Hang up or press and, uh, one for more options. We will. Uh, God willing, eventually get her on. And I, I don't know if she has a Skype as well, but uh, I thought I, I remembered getting her on by way of the phone lines. So, uh, in any case, the first hour is going to be devoted to the big news yesterday. The Lancet uh, broke out its long-awaited COVID origins report, or its COVID report, uh, the committee that produced this report was chaired by Jeffrey Sachs, a Columbia University professor who's considered one of the hundred most important people in the world by the various establishmentarians who keep track of such things. Jeffrey Sachs is now saying that COVID came out of a U.S. bioweapons lab, or at least he thinks that's the likely uh, case. And so there's been a policy of utter silence and censorship throughout the mainstream media and even seemingly in much of the alternative media on this critically important issue. Suddenly, just the other day, it looked like the dam broke. The mainstream media started beating up on Jeffrey Sachs and on The Lancet, the world's leading medical journal, which published Jeffrey Sachs and his committee's report on Rich, COVID. Is this Richard? Hey, no, this is Kevin. Hello, Merrill. We finally got you. How are oh, you? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's 8 o'clock already. Okay, I'm so sorry. Oh, Can man. we you, do it you, on this phone? Uh, it's is fine, okay? yeah. Yeah, you sound great. Okay. All right. Well, it's good right. to have you. I, I was just introducing this hour. Uh, we have you for half an hour and then Ron Unz for half an hour. And oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. It should be, a, should be an interesting hour because we're going to be talking about the mainstream media uproar 
and anger and fury. These are direct quotes from headlines of uh, various mainstream outlets from yesterday uh, as the entire mainstream media seemingly had a fit. Uh, they, they had paroxysms of fury, anger, and uproar over the Lancet, the world's leading medical journal, publishing a report on COVID origins. And they emphasized the claim from Jeffrey Sachs, the chair of the Lancet's COVID commission, that COVID supposedly came from an American lab, and they said that was in the report. But actually, it doesn't really seem that that is in the report. They may have jumped the gun. They may have been ready to pounce on Jeffrey Sachs when this report came out, and they may have uh, blown it by protesting too much. Uh, that, at least, is the case that Ron Unz is going to make in the second half hour. And I'm curious about your take on this. What What do you think of what Jeffrey Sachs has been doing and what just happened when the mainstream attacked him and the Lancet yesterday? Well, what Jeffrey Sachs did, and I can't tell you why, um, is that he wrote in another journal several months ago, um, in, in May, actually, um, and spoke at a conference in Spain saying that he thought COVID basically had developed with, been developed with American biotechnology, or it may have. So he didn't say it necessarily came from the United States, but indicated, I think what he was, what he was saying was that certain things like adding a furin cleavage site, you know, were, were worked on or developed here in the U.S. And um, today I heard him do um, a four-person sort of conference today in which he basically genuflected to the WHO because apparently there were some criticisms of the WHO in the report. The report's 53 pages. I did not get a chance to read it. But um, he's now uh, on good terms with Tedros and the WHO because he's asking for lots more money so that the WHO can have, you know, pandemic preparedness. And so now they're all holding hands and saying kumbaya. I don't think he was really criticizing much about the pandemic apart from this business acknowledging what is true, which is that U.S. technology is responsible, apparently, for some of the um, innovations that created uh, SARS-CoV-2. And he is also saying something else. He's, he's throwing Fauci under the bus, which is curious. He's saying the NIH is, is as um, opaque as the Chinese in terms of sharing information on the program. And he specifically said that when you um, FOIA for information on this from the NIH, you're getting redact completely redacted pages. You're getting blank pages from them. And, uh, you know, I guess this is this sort of goes along with the WHO, which has been protecting China. So he's saying the United States and China are on par in terms of hiding information about the research they did that may have led to the pandemic. And I would agree with him. I think that's true. And I think anybody who reads, you know, reads about this would agree. So, but the more important thing is how is this going to be handled in the future? And he's asking us all to bow down to the WHO to give them money to support their new pandemic treaty and their international health regulations, which many people would say are a pathway to disaster because it, they could potentially give sovereignty, give over sovereignty to the WHO in the event of a pandemic, 
and who even gets to declare a pandemic, you know, how are pandemics defined? There have been many, you know, many WHO has identified, I think, about eight or ten pandemics in the last 20 years. So um, once you have one, if you're going by these proposed uh, treaty rules, which which are not fully written yet, um, care how to handle a pandemic could potentially be turned over to the WHO and not managed by individual countries, and that this could be a way to gain you know world control. And of course, looking at the COVID containment measures, it's not obvious that the WHO guidelines were actually all that useful when we compare the different policies of the different countries. And it does seem that they also have a lot of potential for imposing a kind of a one-size-fits-all tyranny on the entire world. So I'm with you on that, Meryl. Um, but but regards to, you know, with Jeff, uh, Jeffrey uh, Sachs' uh, talk about the origins of COVID, uh, which is could be a pretty explosive topic, uh, his interviews in Current Affairs and on RFK Jr.'s podcast uh, indicated, as I recall, that he thought there had been a monstrous cover-up, that say, essentially these same people that you were the very first person that I heard of who really exposed as having run interference for the natural origin theory of COVID with that Lancet piece that they published back in early 2020, which called the people who were speculating about lab origin rather than natural origin uh, conspiracy theorists and so on and so forth. And you uh, came on my show and talked about your article, Why Are Some of the U.S.'s Top Scientists Making a Specious Argument About the Natural Origin of SARS-CoV-2? And you pointed out that these usual suspects who were publishing this statement in The Lancet trying to convince the world that it was a, had a natural origin were really dubious uh, usual suspects uh, Biowar suspects. Right. So, yeah, yeah, actually, there were two articles, Kevin. So, mm-hmm. there was an article in The Lancet, which was basically ghostwritten by Peter Daszak and of um, EcoHealth Alliance, you know, who, who was the funnel to give money from the, from the NIH to the Wuhan lab. And he got 25 of his compatriots to sign that. And that tagged um, people who questioned the natural or- origin as conspiracy theorists. And then there was another paper that was published uh, just a couple of weeks later in Nature Medicine. So that was in The Lancet. And in Nature Medicine, there were five scientists who um, insisted that this had to be a natural origin because had it been a lab-created organism, certain things would have had to have been true, and they weren't. Now, that was a completely fake scientific paper. It, it didn't hold, when you look at the arguments, they don't hold water. And, you know, people laugh at them now. But at the time, that uh, paper held a lot of weight. And the NIH director, Francis Collins, directed people on his blog to read that paper, and it was the be-all and end-all. Well, it turned out that most of the five scientists who, had, who were supposedly the co-authors of that paper had been on phone calls with Fauci and Jeremy Farrar and Francis Collins to create the cover-up. And they were then directed to write this paper with assistance from others at the um, Wellcome Trust and put it out there and get it published. So anyway, that that was the cover-up in February and March of um, 2020. Right. And uh, as I understand it, it, it seems that uh, Jeffrey Sachs, uh, in these interviews with Public Affairs and RFK Jr., 
essentially said that there's been that kind of a monstrous cover-up, and he pointed the finger at uh, at Daszak and some of these people. So yes, he, he, he pointed point- the finger at Daszak and at Fauci and at Collins. Yeah. So he's pointed the finger at the NIH and um, and Peter Daszak. Now, Daz- you see, Daszak was a an integral part of um, Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs' COVID committee for Lancet. Peter Daszak was the head of the COVID origins task force, which was the most important, you know, task force. And now Jeffrey Sachs, who is a Nobel Prize winner, and I have to say, he's a globalist. He's a professor at Columbia. You know, he's a, supposedly a liberal, you know, but he's he knows everybody, you know, and he's he's in bed with, with all the globalists. Um, so now he's throwing Daszak and Fauci under the bus when Daszak has already been thrown under the bus, and so has Fauci, basically with RFK's book and other things. So many people hate him now. So I guess it's safe to, to, to tag those. And Collins has left the NIH, although he is now you know, an advisor to Biden. I'm not sure how you advise Biden, but um, does Biden understand advice? <laughs> However, um, so I think it's safe to tag those people. He hasn't mentioned Lawrence Tabak, who was also a co-conspirator on those phone calls and, and involved in the cover-up and is the acting director of NIH currently. He hasn't mentioned that name. Um, he, you know, and he hasn't mentioned, and what he wants to do is, is, create a an enforcement mechanism to prevent future pandemic research under the WHO. So what I think he's I think he's a limited hangout and he's just trying to direct, you know, everybody who's unhappy about the fact that, you know, our governments have created these organisms that are killing us uh, and trying to direct that large group of majority of Americans and make us think that the WHO is going to solve this problem of future pandemics for us. And of course, the reality is that this so-called gain-of-function research is a euphemism for uh, bioweaponizing these viruses and microorganisms, and it's being conducted in secret in in the the military biowar world. We're told that the U.S. has spent $100 billion or more on bioweapons, and obviously the future looks pretty bleak if we allow them to continue building bioweapons because the adversaries will also have to uh, do that kind of thing and we could you know get into a kind of a scenario where we'd be in an endemic uh, bioweaponized world which we may already be in for all i know uh and obviously we need to turn this around and so you're saying you don't think sachs is going to be uh, exploding this cover-up of covid origins in such a way that people would demand the truth and that truth would be so ugly that we could actually have a chance of at least putting some teeth in the uh, bioweapons convention and, and ban these things, or at least scale back the work that's being done in bioweapons. But to me, that's really what we should be working for. Yeah, so exactly. So there is no mechanism right now that can effectively um, monitor and prevent the development of bioweapons. And hopefully there could be. Um, We have a biological weapons convention, but it doesn't have any teeth. It's been in force since 1975, so almost 50 years. But it, we were supposed to add 
provisions that would explain how to do inspections and then how to punish countries that um, broke the rules. Those provisions were never added, and uh, in the last 20-plus years, the reason they haven't been added is because the United States has blocked them, even when, you know, nations have spent months trying to negotiate these additional provisions to the treaty that were supposed to have been negotiated at the time it was first established. So, so in order to hurry up the treaty back in 1975, the countries agreed, well, let's, let's just sign up with what we've got now and we'll have these review conferences and we'll get these additional provisions to give the treaty teeth to make it actually work so that countries could inspect each other's biological research facilities and manufacturing facilities make sure there were no bioweapons being developed. Anyway, so that never happened. Well, now there are two things that SACS and the WHO are trying to do. One is they're saying we need all this money for pandemic preparedness. We need a ton of money. Um, and we don't because, as you said, the United States has spent over $100 billion on pandemic and biological warfare preparedness over the last 20 years since 9-11 and what do, what do we have to show for it we have to show for it you know COVID and um, God knows what else has been developed you know under the guise of preparing and when the pandemic came they didn't have masks they didn't have suits they didn't have ventilators they had nothing they had no drugs no vaccines supposedly you know now we know they had hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin but our public health agencies covered that up. So we know that in the United States and, with, and the rest of the world, which also tried to prevent people using those effective drugs, there was, there was no government, governmental intention to help the populace. The intention was to get as many deaths and injuries from COVID as possible and, and to stop our, our economies. So okay. these are the people that now want us to give them more money for pandemic preparedness. And so we need, a, you know, and the, and the WHO was part of the same thing. The WHO ran a trial that overdosed people on hydroxychloroquine to, to make it seem the drug didn't work. Right. So yeah. what we need is an effective, you know, mechanism similar to what was initially envisioned for the Biological Weapons Convention. But it should, it, if we could, possibly, but it needs to be an honest mechanism, you know, something that's actually interested in preventing the development of biological weapons rather than suppressing treatments. And I, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. We have to basically, you know, get rid of the people who have been running the show and damaging us. Well, you know, let me propose another hypothesis about the bizarre uh, re reaction to the pandemic in terms of uh, the essentially the, the banning and suppression of treatments and, of course, the promotion of mRNA vaccines. And those mRNA vaccines seem to have been developed to a great extent ahead of COVID, and they were quite ready to break out. And uh, they're uh, very useful if you're planning on releasing bioweaponized viruses because the mRNA vaccines apparently can be tweaked very quickly to match whichever variant or whichever new virus you're putting out there. And so mm -hmm. what, what if rather than simply wanting to kill people, the real motivation for the suppression of the treatments and the ultra promotion of these vaccines was that the Anglo-Zionist or American empire, whichever you want to call it, 
is reaching a, a point where it's it's being eclipsed by the growing uh, economies and productivities of these other countries led by China. And killing China's economy is the number one strategic imperative, or at least uh, hindering it, hobbling it, uh, for the United States empire or the Anglo-Zionist empire. The most obvious way to do that is through biological warfare. COVID may have come from that, as Ron Unz will be arguing in the second half hour. And the mRNA vaccines will be useful on into the future as more and more viruses and variants are unleashed and the, whoever has the mRNA vaccines thinks that they can tweak them to quickly uh, inoculate their population and save their 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 people and while, while the other people perish. And that would explain why there's been such a push for these mRNA vaccines because it's basically a U.S. imperial military technology. And uh, that would explain uh, what's going on, to my mind, a lot better than just kind of uh, random wanting to kill people, uh, suppressing treatments for no better reason than to kill people. Um, and it also would explain uh, a lot of other aspects of this. And it seems to me this is the, what's missing from most of the alternative media conversation is an understanding of the geopolitical situation and the military aspect of COVID and the entire you know pandemic preparedness industry. So, I, Kevin, I totally agree with you that it's always a question of follow the money and that uh, on some level the United States certainly wants to have an upper hand um, since China's economy has, has become bigger than ours and that all of this pandemic stuff has harmed China relatively more than it has the U.S. However, e- economically, I, not, disagree, not I disagree with you because in the fact that the vaccines don't work. They're basically... They make you more susceptible to COVID for two to three weeks after you get a shot. Then you have a very short honeymoon of several months, or if you're a child, several weeks, during which you get some efficacy out of the vaccines. And then you go into negative efficacy territory, which means having been vaccinated, you become more susceptible to COVID than actually an unvaccinated person is. And then presumably you stay in that negative territory uh, forever unless you get a booster and then you get a few weeks or up to, in the case of the fourth shot, they say about four weeks. In the case of the third shot, you might get three or four months. And then again, you go back into negative territory and you become increasingly susceptible or you have an increased susceptibility to COVID. So therefore, since the vaccines really overall don't work, you know, if you add up all the time uh, periods together, this is even a, forgetting the side effects, which are horrendous. Um, you can't vaccinate your own people and protect them. So the vaccine wasn't about protecting people. It was about something else. Now, whether it was about killing more people, I personally think that the vaccines were critical because they wanted vaccine passports. They want, that they actually did hope that they worked, but they didn't have enough time to really test them and um, so had they worked a bit better than they do, um, vaccine passports would have been imposed on us and we would have had to get our updated boosters for, you know, to update our passports to enable us to go through life. And once everybody had to carry around a vaccine passport, everything else would be put on this on the app or multiple apps. And we would basically, be, you know, wind up uh, being governed to some extent by these electronic apps. Um, in, 
And some countries, they're still talking about vaccine passports. They're talking about in Europe, for example, even though the vaccines don't work and there's no medical reason to get them. So I think they're also, when you're injecting people, you know, who knows what's in the injection? You don't know. These vaccines were, unlike other vaccines, which are made by private companies and have to go through normal FDA processes, these were made by some combination of the U.S. military with very, relatively very few people from FDA liaising with the military and the private companies and the military providing much of the logistics to obtain ingredients and reagents. So, and Pfizer, Moderna, you know, J&J, they are not responsible. They don't have to stand by the contents of their product because they've been given this tremendous liability waiver. So basically, we don't know what's in the vaccines. We don't know if Pfizer knows. We don't know if there are funny ingredients that the U.S. government has, has put in or really what, what's there, and we certainly don't know why they keep pushing them when they don't work. You know, what's up with that? And we need to know that. Well, I what, don't know when we will. What you just described with the military being the main developer of these mRNA vaccines would uh, suggest that that um, scenario I just sketched for you with uh, the mRNA vaccines as being part of a military bioweapons experiment, and as it turns out, perhaps a failed experiment, uh, would actually make sense. And maybe it's a good thing that the vaccines failed if that will discourage the perpetrators of the COVID bioweapon uh, extravaganza from continuing this kind of activity, thinking they can protect whoever they want to protect with mRNA vaccines. Turns out the vaccines don't work so well. Maybe that will discourage them from unleashing more plagues anytime in the near future. At least that's certainly what I hope. Well, well thank you, yeah, Meryl Ness. One, one would hope. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the people who used the vaccine, these vaccines that um, we have in the U.S., I mean, Russia didn't use these vaccines. China didn't use them. Most of Africa. So it was, we've developed these vaccines, but it's the white Westerners that are suffering the consequences because they turned out to be so dangerous. And so now we're looking at overall cause mortality going up by about 20 to 25% in Western countries in which we have, for which we have data. So we're looking at about a 20% increase in deaths in, in the UK. Um, Last month, they were having 1,700 extra deaths per week compared to the previous five-year average. And um, I just saw some data out of Massachusetts today where, again, the five-year average was compared with the years 2020 and 2021. And in 2020, there were more COVID deaths than there were in 2021. But in 2021, there was more all-cause mortality not do, and and this wasn't due to COVID. So, and in particular, people in younger ages have a a, a greater increase in all cause mortality. So they may be up to thirty percent more deaths, or even forty percent in younger age groups, and maybe ten to twenty percent in the older age groups in for last year. Anyway, it's it's qu it's quite a mess. It, it, Things are seriously wrong, and our government has taken us in all the wrong directions. And I'm not even sure that we should be looking at this as a country thing. 
although certain aspects of it are, are limited to certain countries, like, you know, the vaccine, the, which vaccines are used depends on your country. But I think the rulers of the world are multinational corporations that don't actually have any national allegiance. And we shouldn't forget that. Mm-hmm. They, they may be looking at the entire world as their chessboard, and China is just one chess piece and the United States is another. Well, there's some indication that previous world wars have been influenced by uh, financial sectors. Um, but we'll, we'll pick that up later because we hit the end of the half hour. It's time to start talking with Ron Unz, uh, who will pick up where you left off. So thank you so much, Meryl Ness. It's good talking with you. I appreciate your early uh, awareness and uh, sounding the alarm on some of these things, especially the cover-up of the lab origin of COVID. Uh, so keep up the great work. God bless and talk to you soon. Bye-bye, Kevin. Bye. All right, that's Meryl Nass. Um, Okay, this is a very interesting time to have uh, Meryl and Ron Unz on with uh, yesterday's newspapers uh, pushing back against the Lancet, attacking the Lancet, uh, attacking Jeffrey Sachs uh, with these headlines of anger and uproar and fury. So uh, I think Ron Unz has a very interesting take on why the media would suddenly be going crazy uh, about the Jeffrey Sachs statements about COVID possibly coming from American laboratory technology and so on, and then cheering the uh, Lancet's COVID commission. And then the Lancet comes out with this long-awaited report and the media starts going crazy. Um, is there more here than meets the eye? Well, let's find out. Hey, welcome, Ron Unz. How are you, Ron? Hey, great to be here. Yeah, great to have you back. So, uh, yesterday, uh, I was amazed to find all of these headlines in all sorts of different mainstream outlets across the U.S. and the U.K., uh, all leading with their stories on the Lancet's COVID report with these kind of uh, sensational headlines uh, about the anger and the uproar and the fury that has met these terrible, terrible people at the Lancet led by the most terrible person of all, Jeffrey Sachs, who actually hangs out with the evil anti-vaxxer RFK Jr. And uh, this uh, pushback uh, against The Lancet and against Jeffrey Sachs uh, seemed to be almost orchestrated. There were similar, uh, almost identical wording in some of these headlines and, and, and some of the uh, articles across the mainstream media, which makes me suspect that there's some kind of orchestrated propaganda operation in place. And I did communicate with you on email a little bit about what's going on, and so maybe you could lay it out for our listeners. Well, it really is very peculiar. In other words, uh, obviously the Lancet Commission had spent the last two years really focused on investigating all aspects of the COVID epidemic and the circumstances behind it and really all the other details. And, I mean, we're talking about a very, very respectable international body. I mean, the sort of, you know, when you look at the names of the people on the commission, they're exactly the sort of great and good of the globalist international establishment you can mention. I mean, you can't get any more respectable and mainstream as that. And the headlines that then came out, for example, uh, the one I'm thinking most of all, which I think was one of the first pieces out, appeared in the Daily Mail, which obviously is really one of the most um, widely read uh, Internet publications around and, you know, really many times is willing to take much more of a populist or dramatic tone 
than you wouldn't find, say, in the New York Times or the Washington Post or something like that. And just to read you the headline, it goes, Fury as the Lancet sensationally claims COVID may have leaked from an American lab, echoing anti-Western claims peddled by Beijing. In other words, they're declaring that the Lancet report, these you know, extremely establishmentarian individuals are claiming that COVID came from an American lab, which is an absolutely incendiary claim. And it goes through, when you go through the article, I mean, it denounces Jeffrey Sachs, it denounces the COVID commission, it denounces all of those individuals for taking such an extraordinarily controversial stance in their report. Now, you know, again, that's exactly the sort of headline you would expect to see if such statements had been made in the report. But after reading the Daily Mail story, after reading a couple of the other articles that came out with a very similar tone, I then actually sat down and carefully read the 50,000-word Lancet report. And it said none of those things. I mean, it's really bizarre. I mean, you know, anybody can read the report. Anybody can even do a search for certain words or phrases. And they're not present in the 50,000-word text of the report. In other words, nowhere in the report does it claim to provide any information that the COVID virus came from an American lab. Now, it basically says that uh, it there one of the theories it proposes is that the uh, is that the virus came from a natural source in other words it leaked into the human uh environment from an animal uh, uh body or then the other proposal it makes is that it could have been produced in an artificial laboratory environment in other words it could have been bioengineered and it points to those and accidentally released it points to those as being the two main theories now I don't think anybody can dispute that because if you look at, for example, last year, year and a half of newspaper stories, you know, New York Times, all the leading publications, those have been the two stories that have been very widely discussed. In other words, either it came from an animal source or it ended up coming from a laboratory based on, you know, biotechnology, based on bioengineering. So in other words, to say that those are the two main theories being proposed I think is a very reasonable statement for them to make. And it also never pointed specifically at any American lab as the origin of the virus. It simply said that it's important to investigate all the different laboratories around the world that had been involved in that sort of bioengineering activity with the coronavirus to possibly add the fern cleavage site that would have made it infectious the way it is. So in other words, and you know, and what I'm talking about, for example, if you read the 50,000 word article, there are probably a total of a half a dozen sentences in those 50,000 words that even make the very mild statements that I just said. In other words, the vast, vast majority of the text is as bland and straightforward and non-controversial as anybody could possibly imagine. And yet you have this incendiary headline in the Daily Mail and other articles that came out all very, very quickly denouncing the report, denouncing Jeffrey Sachs, 
and announcing this monstrous theory that the virus came from an American lab, which is nowhere in the Lancet report. <laughs> now, well, you know, when, when you see you know, when you see something like that, I mean, I really was thinking to myself, where in the world could such a bizarre circumstances have developed? And I, I think you have to really understand what probably is going on. Now, it is true over the last few months, Jeffrey Sachs, the chairman of the Lancet Commission, has on several occasions given interviews in which he emphasized his strong belief based on the evidence that the COVID virus did come from a laboratory, that it was bioengineered. And he's also emphasized the fact that there seems to be a tremendous cover-up of its origins going on within the American scientific establishment, a cover-up maintained and promoted by all those American virologists and microbiologists that seem to have close connections to the U.S. government. And in fact, many of those individuals who he had placed on his COVID commission task force, he later found out were flat out lying to him on the likely origins of the virus. So it's certainly true that Jeffrey Sachs has made some of these allegations in his interviews over the last few months. And he published a paper in a leading academic journal pointing to the likely bioengineered nature of the virus. But it appeared nowhere in the report. And so you have to ask yourself, how could these dramatic headlines be appearing in all of these publications attacking a report for something that the report does not say anywhere? And I think you have to really step back a little bit and think of what groups and what organizations would be most outraged over what Jeffrey Sachs has been saying over the last few months. And it clearly would be elements of the American national security established American intelligence organizations that are very concerned that Sachs has been hinting or suggesting that the virus may have come from an American laboratory, that it may be an American virus. So, you know, when you're talking about, for example, American intelligence operatives being very, very concerned that the world's leading medical journal, The Lancet, and the commission they report, they uh, organized was about to come out with a massive report, including discussions of the possible origins of COVID, with Jeffrey Sachs being the chairman of the commission. I think what probably happened is they decided it was absolutely essential that they attack and denounce what they feared would be in the report before anybody else could put a positive spin on it. And so I think what probably happened, I mean, the report is 50,000 words long, and the first story came out within hours of the report being released. I don't think anybody who wrote any of these articles, any of the journalists involved, had actually looked at the report, let alone read all 50,000 words. So they jumped the gun and attacked the report for what they feared it might contain but what it did not contain. In other words, they basically came across as individuals or organizations with an extremely guilty conscience, fearful that the report would indicate that the virus probably came from an American lab. The report did not say that, but they couldn't take any chances. So they immediately jumped into the attack against Jeffrey Sachs, against the Lancet, against the COVID commission, and announced it for what they feared 
the report would be saying, even though it didn't actually say that. And, you know, there's an old biblical phrase, the guilty flee when no man pursueth. And I think that's exactly the situation we're looking at. We're seeing America's intelligence apparatus, America's national security apparatus, jumping the gun and attacking the Lancet report, not for what it actually said, but for what they feared it might say. And the result of that was they put all these headlines out there so that probably an awful lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people, possibly millions of people, now believe that the Lancet report did implicate America in the production of the COVID virus, even though it never said such a thing. Well, that's that's actually kind of darkly funny. And, you know, given that there have been some interesting libel trials recently with Alex Jones and Jim Fetzer and the Sandy Hook victims and so on over statements that were arguably less obviously false and defamatory than these headlines, it makes me wonder whether the Lancet might have a defamation case against these media outlets. I mean, each of these headlines says very clearly that Lancet sensationally claims COVID may have leaked from an American lab. And as you say, the, there are no such claims in the entire report. Uh, several other headlines say that too. So, uh, quite a few major mainstream outlets appear to have committed libel out of laziness and, and panic. That, that's a very good point. I really have thought of that. And also, Britain is a country where the libel laws are extremely, um, extremely onerous for anybody who, you know, takes a risk of producing something like that. So it would be interesting. To, uh, the only thing on the other side is that I have a feeling the Lancet is far too mainstream and respectable organization to try to go after the Daily Mail or some of these other publications. But, I mean, they might really have a reasonable case if they wanted to. Uh, another you know, interesting aspect of the whole situation is that, you know, Many of these articles are denouncing, for example, Jeffrey Sachs and the COVID Commission and the individuals who, you know, produced the report, the heads of the uh, the groups involved, as being conspiracy theorists, as being wild-eyed lunatics. I mean, just as being very, very irresponsible people. Now, after spending several hours reading the the full fifty thousand word report, which in many cases was, I mean, as sober and respectable and uncontroversial as any report like that could possibly be. I also actually watched the, uh, the Lancet came out with a, about an hour and a half long uh, video uh, symposium where the individuals involved in the report summarized different aspects of the report, summarized their recommendations, I and mean, basically discussed the contents of the report. And it hasn't really gotten much traffic. I think when I watched it yesterday, it only gotten a few hundred views. And if you actually watch that discussion, you can see why it hasn't gotten more attention. Because, I mean, the entire presentation of all these individuals, I mean, these are very, very sober-minded inter international figures. I'm the sort of people you'd expect, exactly expect to be on this sort of, you know, very respectable commission. And most of the statements they made, in fact, almost the entire content of their hour and a half presentation was so extremely respectable and responsible and almost eye-glazingly dull as to be difficult to imagine. In other words, I mean, it was exactly the sort of thing you would expect to see 
on one of these international commissions. In other words, using the sort of standard buzzword of sustainability, I think probably the word sustainability must have been used several hundred times during the entire presentation by all the different individuals involved. I mean, exactly the sort of thing you would expect to see in, I don't know, United Nations presentation or something like that. In fact, the head of the World Health Organization was one of the people involved in the presentation. Now, you know, if anybody's accusing these individuals of being wild-eyed fanatics and conspiracy theorists, anybody hears something like that would just have to watch five minutes of the presentation to see that those are the most ludicrous, ridiculous charges you can possibly imagine. It reminds me a little bit of, I think it was in 2016, when, uh, you know, a lot of these groups were uh, trying to crack down on the alternative media, and they were denouncing the alternative media as being uh, being filled with Russian agents. And one of the organizations, one of the individuals they denounced as being a Russian agent was Representative Ron Paul. And if you can think of anybody in the world least likely to be a Russian agent, it probably would be Ron Paul. And to denounce him on those grounds is just as ludicrous as denouncing the members of the COVID commission, these ultra sober, respectable international figures as being conspiracy theorists or individuals who would make wild unsubstantiated charges. So, you know, I really think they've shot themselves in the foot. In other words, what they've done, whoever organized this concentrated media assault against the Lancet report from the moment it was released in the media, what they've done is probably persuade large numbers of people around the world that the Lancet report accused America of having created the COVID virus. And at the same time, anybody who really investigates those charges could see that those accusations are entirely false and that, you know, the Lancet report never made those statements. Also, by attacking the Lancet report, I think they've probably given a lot more attention than otherwise would have gotten. And I think there's a much better chance now that Jeffrey Sachs or possibly some of the other people involved in the issue will now be offered a platform on one or more video channels or podcasters to get the details of the story out there. And one thing I should say is when Jeffrey Sachs spoke on the panel or when he chaired the production of the report, what he was doing was producing a consensus document. So the document in no way argued that the virus was certainly artificial. In other words, it simply portrayed the two possible cases, the virus either being natural or the virus having been released from a laboratory. And that certainly was the position that Jeffrey Sachs took in uh, his segments on the video presentation. But if he's now interviewed, not as chairman of the COVID commission providing the consensus statement of all the other members, but as an individual in his own opinion, who several months ago had published an important journal article arguing for the very strong evidence of the virus actually being artificial, having been bioengineered, I think his statements may get a lot more attention than they would have done without these media attacks against him. And I, I think if he makes the same sort of statements in those future interviews as he made with Robert F. Kennedy's podcast or in some of the other interviews he's done, 
I think there's a chance a tremendous amount of um, coverage may go to those statements. Well, Ron, if the intelligence agencies involved in this coordinated media attack on The Lancet and on Jeffrey Sachs uh, and the Biowar, whoever they are, who might be behind the likely U.S. bio attack on China and Iran that was the original source of COVID, according to your hypothesis, um, and the military people who developed the mRNA vaccines, as Merrill Nass was discussing in the first half hour, uh, all of, if all of these people represent sort of the, uh, the best and the brightest in the U.S. government and its uh, strategic intelligence and military facets, I really uh, fear for our country because, you know, th- this would be the, the worst disaster in history compounded by even more disasters. If you think about it, if, if all of this is true, what we had here was a plot to develop viruses for biowar to target adversary economies and to develop the antidotes in the form of mRNA vaccines, which can be very quickly tweaked to match whichever is the latest variant or uh, bioweapon that you hit your adversary with. And the U.S. lead in this biotechnology, both the virus and the vaccine, would theoretically give the U.S. a big strategic advantage over its adversaries. So what do they do, according to our theory here? They, they hit China and Iran with COVID, and it leaks out, and hit, there's blowback. It wipes out the global economy and the West, especially, and, the, and hits the U.S. Then they, they get out their mRNA vaccines, which don't really work very well. As Merrill said, they, they uh, have negative e- efficacy for a month. Then they have some e- efficacy for four or five months for the first shot, and less than that for subsequent boosters. And then they take you into negative efficacy territory after that. So it looks like this would be the biggest failed biowar experiment in history, both in terms of the attack and its blowback and in terms of the attempt to produce an antidote, which it turns out doesn't work. And now we have this uh, intelligence agency coordinated media pushback against the Lancet that, as you say, uh, they flee where, where no man pursueth. And they have called all kinds of attention to this uh, made-in-a-lab hypothesis and given Jeffrey Sachs publicity for no particular reason. Are our government people really that incompetent? (laughs) Well, I certainly think so. In other words, it's hard to see why they would be doing these things if they were more competent. I mean, the whole thing about it is, and it's not just this. I mean, look at, for example, America's flight from Afghanistan. We were there 20 years. We spent... Oh, I think probably a trillion dollars or hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. We thought our puppet regime would last six months a year. It fell in five, six, seven days, something like that. You know, we fled with our tail between our legs. Or take, for example, the um, the uh, economic sanctions we've visited against Russia because of the Ukraine war. I mean, right now Europe is being devastated because of the loss of Russian cheap energy. And I mean, when you look at, for example, the policies of the German government, I mean, the German government and many of the European governments are destroying their own economies. They're totally destroying their own economies. And so uh, there's sometimes a perception, sometimes a misperception, that government leaders may be evil or cynical or ruthless, but they're also competent. And I think they're much more likely to be evil or cynical and ruthless than they are to be competent, as we're seeing in all these examples. I mean, 
you know, I just can't imagine why they would have taken the step to basically focus attention on claims that the COVID virus came from American labs and, you know, connected with The Lancet, which is one of the world's leading, most prestigious medical journals, and all these senior international figures saying that they're making that claim when they're not even making that claim. So, I mean, the whole thing about it is intelligence agencies are filled with very, um, very human people can make human mistakes. And sometimes they're sufficiently arrogant that they take decisions that, you know, end up being disasters for their own side. So I, I just don't see how they can get around these problems they're developing. And I, I think there's a very good chance that Jeffrey Sachs now may be given a much greater burst of media attention with the alternative media much more willing to cover him, which is one of the complaints I've had before. In other words, when we're talking about Jeffrey Sachs, one of the most highly regarded academic figures of the last 20 or 30 years, chairman of the COVID commission, somebody who's been ranked one of the most influential people in the world several times in the last couple of decades. With someone like that coming out with those interviews in which he made incendiary charges about a massive American government cover-up taking place right now to hide the true origins of the virus, arguing that the virus was clearly bioengineered and that fact is being concealed by scientists with U.S. ties. It's really been very disappointing for me that his charges have been ignored not only by virtually all of the mainstream media, but by such a large fraction of the alternative media as well. And, you know, with these headlines now in the Daily Mail and a number of other publications, I think it much, may be much more difficult for the alternative media to try to hide from the issue. And if they start interviewing Jeffrey Sachs, if they start giving him a platform, and if he sets out the facts as he knows them from having served as chairman of the COVID commission, I think that can put a tremendous amount of pressure on the mainstream media to start investigating the same issue. And at that point, I think the whole cover-up might unravel. Well, Jeffrey Sachs, if you're listening, I'd be perfectly happy to interview you right here on Truth Jihad Radio, where we have never flinched from exploring the most incendiary uh, COVID origin hypotheses. Uh, but I'm not sure if it would help Jeffrey Sachs's case to come on Truth Jihad Radio. They're already smearing him for going on RFK Jr.'s podcast. <laughs> um, maybe Alex Jones, you know, Ron, maybe you and or Jeffrey Sachs should be appearing on somebody like Alex Jones's uh, show, which has uh, a, a wider audience, if not necessarily quite as uh, as intellectually advanced an audience as I have. Um, I, have you tried to reach out to Alex and these other bigger uh, podcasters? That's an interesting idea. Maybe I really should do that. Another possibility that I've raised, which I think would be probably the most valuable of all, would be for Joe Rogan to interview Jeffrey Sachs. Yes. I mean, in other words, Joe Rogan has certainly come under pressure for interviewing alleged conspiracy theorists or fringe figures. Jeffrey Sachs is the chairman of the COVID commission. Uh -huh. <laughs> He's one of the highest ranking ac mainstream academics in America. There's no way Joe Rogan could be attacked for interviewing Jeffrey Sachs. And I, I think Joe Rogan has an audience of 10 million or something astonishing like that. Right. 
that, I think, by itself could play a huge role in unraveling the cover-up. So, in other words, it's a question of continuing to push forward, trying to get some of these inter- some of these individuals to seriously consider these ideas. And once the facts come out, I mean, once they see, for example, what Jeffrey Sachs is talking about in terms of the fern cleavage site, in terms of the evidence of bioengineering, in terms of the clear evidence of a cover-up, an ongoing cover-up by American scientists, yep, I think the whole thing will fall Maybe it's apart. like Watergate. It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ron Unz. It's always great talking with you, and I really admire your work in pushing this COVID organs, origins investigation uh, into uncharted and very interesting and possibly dangerous territory. Keep up the great work. God bless. Take care. Hey, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Ron Unz, Kevin Barrett here back in the next hour for a totally different kind of conversation with Gila Ansari. Stay with us, right?